right. Good morning, beloved. Good to see everyone here today. Would you join me and open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We are returning this morning to this wonderful first epistle by Peter. Today we'll actually be part two of a message we began last week as we'll be finishing up verses 18 to 21. The uh, title of our message today is Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb, the Truth of Our Redemption. I want to begin this morning by first reading our text once through together. Then after I want to unpack them so we can apply each of these rich truths to our lives. So let's begin there in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Here now is the reading of God's living word. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised them from the dead and gave them glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The word I want to draw your attention to is found there in verse 18. It is the word redeemed. Redeemed. That is the heart and soul of Christianity. Redemption. Our message is a message of redemption. The gospel message is a redeeming message. In the Greek, it is the verb lutrao. It means to purchase someone's release by paying a ransom, by paying a price. Now, when we think of a ransom today, typically we think of criminal activity. We think of someone being kidnapped and the criminal leaves a, a ransom note saying that you must pay X dollars and I will free this person. During the first century, the word ransom it was actually a technical term. And it was used for buying back prisoners of war or freedom from the workplace, which is where you had servants and slaves. That's the meaning of the term here. It means to deliver by the payment of a price. And so Peter says, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but with precious blood, the blood of Christ. You see, Scripture makes clear we are all in need of redeeming. Every single one of us. The natural man is born dead in his trespasses and sins. He or she is a slave to sin having been found guilty of breaking God's law, God then, being both righteous and, and a just judge, had every right to find us guilty and has sent us to death. Death is the penalty, both physical and spiritual death. But praise be to God, He did not leave us in this fallen condition. For as Jesus said, the Son of Man 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus Christ provided the ransom, paying the price with his precious blood in order to liberate us from the power of sin and from the prison of divine judgment, the sentence to eternal hell. Now, in looking at these verses, Peter lays out for us a theology of redemption by answering four crucial questions. You'll see these outlined in your bulletin on the back. Essentially, number one, what were we redeemed from? Number two, what were we redeemed with? Number three, who were we redeemed by? And number four, what were we redeemed for? Last week, we answered question number one, what were we redeemed from? And the answer, sin. Sin. We were redeemed from sin. But we looked a little bit more deeply in these verses that Peter, that we've been going through of chapter 1 that Peter has laid out for us. And we discovered four aspects of this sinful condition which Peter points to in these surrounding verses. The first thing he noted was our former lust. Lust is an identifying characteristic of all unredeemed people. Listen how dangerous James tells us our former lust can be. He says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived and I considered last week, Genesis chapter 6, in your imagination as you lust for it and begin to imagine it playing out. You see it playing out in your mind. When lust then has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It's this downward spiral of sinful lusting imagination of the natural man. And James cautions, even after you've been redeemed, to be on guard against these sorts of temptations as they can possess the power to to carry you away, to entice you. Remember, if Satan cannot have his soul, he wants to ruin your testimony, making you ineffective for God's kingdom. We also noted in verse number 14 that Peter defines our unredeemed state as a state of ignorance. James, um, or Jesus said to the religious leaders of Israel in John chapter 8, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Apostle Paul perhaps best summarized the condition of ignorance when he said of the unredeemed in Ephesians 4, verse 18, and being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And then down in Verse 18 in 1 Peter, 
he added two more descriptions that will help us to understand this ensnared, sinful condition of the unredeemed man. The first word is the word futile. There is a futility in the unredeemed life. That is to say that it is useless. That's what it means. It is pointless. It is valueless concerning the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Solomon, Ecclesiastes calls it vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And then the last term in this little list is the word tradition. That sums up that phrase at the end of verse 18, inherited from your forefathers. Jesus scolded the Pharisees who lived by traditions of men rather than of God. He said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied to you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The condition then of the unredeemed man is a condition of being driven by lust, being blinded by ignorance, living a futile life, and that is simply the product of a tradition rather than of divine truth. These things then describe the condition of the unredeemed and is not unlike Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, which we compared to these verses last week. So question number one, we were redeemed from sin. The second question that we were dealing with last week is this, what were we redeemed with? What were we redeemed with? And what's the answer? Were we redeemed with what? Blood. Yeah, precious blood. Uh, verse 18. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And when we say precious blood, what we're really saying is death. Death. Through someone's death, we have been redeemed. The price that had to be paid to satisfy God was death. The price cannot be paid through a corruptible earthly commodity, even a valuable one such as silver or gold, the price is much higher than that. The price is blood. Psalm 49, 7 through 8 says, No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly. Very costly. The cost was blood. The third question, and the one that we want to focus most on this morning, is this. By who were we redeemed by? By who were we redeemed by? Whose blood, whose death? At the end of verse 19, it says, The blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times. What were we redeemed from? Sin. What were we redeemed with? Blood. Who were we redeemed through? Christ. He is that perfect lamb, that unblemished, spotless lamb of God, sacrificed for our sin. 
Last week, we saw in Exodus 12 during the very first Passover that the father was to pick out from his very own flock the very best lamb. It was to be a male, one year of age, without blemish. It was to be the most precious of all of his lambs, you see. The father was making a very real sacrifice, covering the life of his firstborn. He gave him only the best. And the best was a true sacrifice, as that would be the one that would breed the best generation of sheep for his family. That's the one the Lord wanted. He wanted the best. The blood was precious because the lamb was precious, you see. But the most precious lamb of all is the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. For his blood was not just any blood. His death was not just any death. It was perfect, sinless blood of Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. He is the most precious, because he is the only one who is truly without blemish. Again, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, the writer to the Hebrews says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctified for the cleaning of the flesh, that is outwardly, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse out your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. He is the most precious lamb because he is the most perfect lamb and therefore his blood is the most precious blood. This is really the testimony throughout the entire New Testament. For example, right in uh, 1 Peter, we'll start there, 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to Christ, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. For it stands in Scripture, God says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Oh, the Lamb of God, so precious. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, Christ also died for sins once for all, and I love this, 
the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Amen. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God, without blemish, spot, stain, gave his precious blood and died for our sins. Peter writes, once for all, precious, his precious life for yours. The great exchange, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. Wow, I can't get over that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we're going to just go through the New Testament real quick. This is throughout scripture. Paul says that we who minister in the church as overseers are to shepherd the church of God, which he, being Christ, purchased with his own blood. He paid the price. He is the perfect Lamb of God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, We are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. You know this verse, Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, speaking of Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Amen. And then just a wonderful passage in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, which says, The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. And then all of this wonderful teaching about redemption culminates in the book of Revelation. If you'd like to turn there for a moment, these are some great verses you should have marked. The book of Revelation, in many ways, presents some of the most glorious portraits of Christ. We begin in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, which says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Jesus Christ is the one who has released us from our sins by his blood. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. How can we resist looking at this wonderful scene that will play out in heaven? A couple of years ago we went through Revelation, but you remember the scene? All of heaven is weeping because no one is found worthy to, to loose the seals. The, the, the title deed to the earth, John is caught up in a vision and he sees all of heaven wailing. 
Who will open up the scrolls? Who is worthy? And then John says in verse 6 that from between the throne, the four living creatures are there. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. That's what John sees, one like a lamb who had been slain. And in verse 7, it says the lamb went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him seated on the throne. This is God the Father. Verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they say, mark it, a new song. You want to know what you're singing in heaven? Verse 9, worthy are you to take the scroll and to loose its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Then I looked, John said, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and of the living creatures and of the elders. And the number of them were myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, all saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing, verse 13, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Again, we see the Lamb of God being praised because He alone is our Redeemer. And then even in chapter 12 of Revelation, during a time described as Jacob's trouble, when Satan will be finally the accuser cast down to earth once and for all, many believe this might be the great tribulation that will come upon our land, judgment to the likes this world, Jesus said, that has never been seen. Even then, Christ will still be redeeming his own. John tells us in verse 11 of this chapter, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. In fact, in Revelation chapter 14, it speaks of those, verse 4, who have not been defiled, as these are the ones, John says, who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, the Lamb. Once again, purchased and redeemed by the precious Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he precious? Oh, you bet he is. You'll remember in the opening of John's gospel, it was John the Baptist who, when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming towards him, cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, we ask the question, who were we redeemed by? The clear answer of Scripture is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was blood 
not money. Death, not silver or gold. Costly. Costly. It was a cost we could never pay. Only the blameless, perfect, precious Son of God possessed the means and he paid the cost. There's really little wonder that the blood of Christ is called here precious. <laughs> precious. It is precious to the Father, for it is the blood of his beloved Son. It is precious to Christ himself, for it was his life poured out for us and offered up through the eternal spirit. And how precious it is to us, for it is the price of our redemption, and it will be the theme of, the theme of our heavenly song. What could wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So, the blood of Christ is precious. But we must also understand something, beloved. As precious as that blood is, that physical blood alone could not and did not save us. It's very important to understand. Only as it's poured out in his death could the penalty of our sin be paid. It's important we make that distinction. There's a lot of distortion out there about the blood of Christ, uh, and it's not only Catholicism that throws this stuff around. I've heard some outrageous stuff. To separate the blood of Christ from his sacrificial death is to misuse his atonement. His blood was his death. In Romans 5, 8 through 10, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, how, Paul, by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So whenever we see Peter and any of the other New Testament writers say we are redeemed by, we are justified by his blood, they're speaking to the fact that we are saved by Christ's sacrificial death. It was his death. And that is pictured for us in his blood. Same as the cross. We will say that it is the cross, but it is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ who covers us for our sins. We have been reconciled to God by the death of his son. The wages of our sin is death. Is death. God set the cost. He determined the ransom. And he paid the price. And just as I said, that cross is an expression that includes all of Christ's atoning work. So is his blood. Not the actual liquid you see that that cleanses believers from the sin, but the work of redemption, that is the totality that Christ accomplished on the cross as he poured out himself to death and bore the sins of many, interceding, Isaiah 53, 12 says, for the transgressors. The guilt of our sin demanded the penalty of death. And so, the Lamb of God was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him, 
and by his wounds we are healed. The precious Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now before we move on, I want us to go back to our verses in 1 Peter and focus on four things that Peter highlights that describe the uniqueness of this precious Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. He lists for us four additional features that make Christ precious unlike anyone else. The first thing that I want you to notice is that this precious lamb was predestined. He was predestined. Notice what it says at the beginning of verse 20, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That is to say that before creation itself, Christ's redeeming work was already planned. He was already foreknown as our redeemer. And that means that God did not react to the fall with some last-minute fix on, I don't know what's going on, now my creation is sin, what do I do? No, rather, he planned it before his creation. He planned it. God predetermined to send his son as the savior, as the redeemer of his creation. In Luke 23, verse 35, it says that as the people stood by looking at Christ on the cross, and even the rulers who were there sneering at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. They knew that God had a predetermined chosen one. Chosen. Sadly for them, those rulers refused to recognize that Jesus was that one chosen to be the sacrifice for sin. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter preaching that great Pentecost sermon. And in verse 23, he confronts those who have killed the Christ, saying, this man has delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. In other words, it was all a part of the plan. And guess what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And by the hands of godless men, you put him to death. And you will be found guilty of that sin. And yet it was through his death, you see, that our redemption was accomplished. You see, God wasn't caught off guard when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. The Redeemer wasn't plan A, plan B. He was always plan A. Before he had even begun the creation itself, he planned its redemption. And not only was the Redeemer chosen before the foundation of the world, but so were you. <laughs> so were you. What did it say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4? He chose us in him before when? The foundation of the world. That we'd be holy and blameless before him. He chose you in eternity past, just as he chose the Redeemer in eternity past. It was uh, an eternal purpose. So the Redeemer is precious because he was predestined. And then number two, secondly, the precious lamb is unique because of his incarnation. His incarnation. 
Notice that section in verse 20 that says, but has happened in these last times. Or, but, sorry, excuse me. But has appeared in these last times. That word for appeared is ponero. It means to manifest or to reveal. It basically, basically means to uh, make known. It's in the form that indicates an event in a moment in time. An event in a moment in time. The Son of God was chosen in eternity past, but has appeared in these last times. It refers to his incarnation. In that rich passage on the humility of Christ, Paul summarizes the incarnation when the word became flesh. In Philippians 2, verse 6, saying, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of what? Man. Man. It's what we read just a few moments ago in Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And who for, can forget that great declaration from John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh. Now, what does Peter mean by that expression that he has appeared in these last times? Well, the last times refers to the entire period, I believe, between the birth of Christ and when he returns, his second coming. That means that right now we are, in fact, in the last times of the Messiah. The, the last days began as soon as the Messiah arrived, and the clock's been ticking down ever since. In Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes out of the prophet Joel, and he says in verse 17, And in the last days I will pour out my spirit. And we see that's what happened at Pentecost. So it's obvious that the last days have begun. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith. 2 Timothy 2, 4 through 4, 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to miss. The writer to the Hebrews says, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So we've already begun the last times. Uh, we began those as soon as Christ got here. And the clock has been ticking down. His third feature of the Son's uniqueness is his resurrection. His resurrection. For it was God, you see, who raised him from the dead. The resurrection was a divine affirmation that the Son's atonement for sin was accepted by the Father. The work he had been sent to do was finished. In his opening salutation to the book of Romans, Paul perfectly summarizes the resurrection significance 
saying he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. God being raised from the dead, declared from the heavens, it is finished, his death was sufficient, he has paid the price. How precious was he? So precious he was chosen in eternity past as our Redeemer. How precious is he? He appeared in these last times in order that he might be the only fitting sacrifice. How precious, so precious, that he was raised by the Father. He was raised by the Father. And then fourthly, that Peter says about him is that God not only raised him from the dead, but verse 21, God gave him glory. God gave him glory. Now, what do you think that that points to? I think it's referring to the Son's ascension into glory. It fits the chronology of the whole Lamb, predestined, incarnation, resurrection, ascension. And God returned him to glory. <laughs> that was Christ's prayer, after all, in John chapter 17, 4 through 5. He prayed, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I love that. And then from Philippians, that great passage of Scripture in chapter 2, after his humiliation, after his death, Paul says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. God raised him up in exaltation and in glory. Hebrews 1, verse 3 says, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How precious is the Lamb? Precious. So precious. This takes us to our final question. Question number four. What were we redeemed for? Are you ready for this? <laughs> Notice what it says in verse 20. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of who? You? Your sake? Christ's redemptive work was for your sake. It was all for you. <laughs> it was all for you. Verse 21, who through him are believers in God. Do you believe in God? It was for you. His redemption was for you. What a tremendously profound, rich statement this is. Through him, that is, through Christ, we have become believers in God. It's like that great promise from 2 Corinthians 8, 9, which says, for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Beloved, it's all for you that he did this. 
Secondly, I also want you to notice something else here. That since redemption through Christ produces believers in God, it is obvious then that salvation is appropriated by faith. And I think what that verse emphasizes here is not only faith in God, but it emphasizes the source of our faith, which is Christ himself. <laughs> it's Christ himself. Not only did he provide us the redemption, but he provides us the grace that grants us the faith to believe. <laughs> How incredible is that? He does it all. He is both the author and perfecter of our faith. And what is the purpose of all this? What were we redeemed for? We could also say at the very end of verse 21, so that, so that your faith and hope are in God. What a great statement. When we pull this whole thing together, our redemption is through Christ, received by faith in Christ, so that your faith and hope are in God. Blood of, beloved, if you've been with us over the last three weeks, that takes us all the way back to where we started in verse 13. The whole reason we've been redeemed is to give us a relationship with the living God. A God listed, beloved, in which we can trust Him in the present, which is faith, and trust Him in the future, which is hope. Faith and hope. We have been redeemed to do more than just survive each day, to make it through one more day, but in order that we might have a living, thriving, confident trust in God. Both in the present, that's your faith, and in the future, that's your hope. Faith and hope. That's God's provision. Look at those, really, when we examine these, these are the dimensions in which we need confidence in in our life. We need to be able to trust God in the present, in our circumstances, in our struggles, in the anxieties of life, that's faith, and trust God for the future, that he'll do everything he's promised. That's our living hope. Look, the past is the past. We can't do nothing about that. We look forward to what lies ahead. Our blessed hope in Christ Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Christ Jesus. That's the only way to live with faith and hope in the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so ultimately, what were we redeemed for? That we might enter into a living, vital relationship with the one true God in which we can trust Him in the present and hope for his glorious promise in the future. And verse 21, so that your faith and hope are in God. That's how we're supposed to live, looking to the future, not citizens of this world, but looking to the one who is to come. 
Titus 2 really summarizes all of our verses starting in verse 13 down to 21 from 1 Peter. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. Paul says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, and looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We owed God an infinite debt for our sins. A debt that we could never have paid, not with all the gold and silver in the world. But Jesus Christ came in and stepped in our place and offered something of infinite value, his own blood, his precious blood. The shed blood of the sinless, perfect Son of God was offered to the Father as a holy and pure offering to atone for our sins. And it is with this precious blood that Jesus ransomed a people for himself from every tongue and tribe and nation. That eternal plan has now been executed as has appeared in these last times for your sake. Jesus has come down out of heaven. Jesus has become the word, became flesh, and dwelt among us. Jesus has died, willingly laying down his own life upon that cross in Calvary to ransom his chosen people. And there he was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and on that cross he bled and died for us. But beloved, Jesus did not stay dead. We do not serve and praise and honor a dead Savior. Our Redeemer lives. For as Peter declares in verse 21, God the Father was pleased with his sacrifice. It says, for he raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And now he reigns, resurrected, triumphant in glory, so that now through the death of Christ, we can know our sins are paid for. You can know your sins have been forgiven. Atonement has been made. Ransomed from death to life. Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Out of the bondage of sin and death. And now are sealed until the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We no longer need to be conformed to the patterns of this world. But we can walk with reverent fear, praising God for who he is and what he's going to do, and that your faith and hope are in God. Is he precious? Oh, you bet he's precious. So precious. He's the Redeemer. He's the Savior. 
He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Trust in him. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with the words of the prophet Isaiah. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. I'll leave that on your heart and minds this morning. I'll just close asking the question, have you been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb? There is salvation in no other name. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. I want to invite you to please stand and come forward if you need prayers this morning. As we stand and sing the song of invitation, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. How about that? Thank you.